You're listening to the WELF NPC News Radio Podcast with your hosts, Walter Mistletoe Livingstone and co-host Becky Marshmallow Livingstone. To all North Pole City Elves, those in Santa's Village and in Lower 48 and all around the world, this is your weekly update for the week of January 16th, 2023. I am your host, Walter Mistletoe Livingstone. And I'm your co-host, Becky Marshmallow Livingstone. Let's go to press. For the week of January 16th, 2023, your sponsor will be the TAOLF.com Merchandise Store. Are you tired of the red and green clothes? Need some snowball games gear? Want some new upcoming holiday gear? Or need a new cocoa mug or cozy pillow? Well then why don't you just go ahead and try out the new designs from the Department of Offland Security's Taylor and Seamstress Division. You can connect to the store today to place your order by visiting taolf.com and clicking on store. Update from Santa's Village, Santa and Mrs. Claus have returned to North Pole City and Santa's Village. Village workers came out to welcome them back when they landed Saturday morning. After changing clothes and grabbing something to eat, Santa was back in the workshop checking on the status of production for this new season. Mrs. Claus took the remainder of the day to get the mansion back up and open. Then she went down to check out things in Mrs. Claus's kitchen and cafeteria Sunday afternoon. There are some rumors that a new project is underway that will involve a few different divisions of the Department of Elfland Security as well. Stay tuned to WELF NPC News Radio and the Peppermint Post for more details as they become available. From the Department of Elfland Security, Edward Hinkelmeyer has called a meeting with Glenn Jingle Winterboon, supervisor from the Division of History and Research, Gracie Kimball, the webmaster and supervisor of the Division of WWWPR, administrators from the WELF NPC News Radio, and administrators from the Peppermint Post this week to go over a new project that Santa and Mrs. Claus would like the department to work on over the next several months. More details about this project will be coming out soon. The division of WWWPR has worked with the North Pole City Sports League to update information on the website in regards to the snowball and reindeer game dates and schedule. There was no information changes in regards to guidelines this year. The snowball games will begin the first week in February as scheduled. This year's score update page will be added for the beginning of the games. In North Pole City weather, temperatures will hover around minus 30 Fahrenheit this week with heavy fog coming into the city on Thursday. The fog will clear up on Saturday, but we expect some heavy snowfall over the weekend. It is expected that all and any flights around North Pole City will be grounded from Thursday to Saturday. The Morning Show with Corby Snow will not be live this week as WELF NPC will be revamping the studio and Santa's workshop. Equipment is being replaced and a new music storage area is being set up. Corby is expected to be on vacation this week, but will be with Barney out at his cabin out at Polar Bear Lake for anyone who would like to go out and hang with Corby and Barney. Before we have this week in Elf history, let's take a quick music break.
kinda cold But you know you've got a hand to hold Come along out and play What a wonderful day Your white cheeks are so hard to resist Those red lips are longing for a kiss Come along out and play What a wonderful day Christmas is almost here Let's toast to a very good year It's just you and me Chilling right under the tree Stay outdoors A different kind of date I'm all yours and I can hardly wait Come along, start the show Having fun in the snow Your white smile is brightening up my date Your blonde hair out of a fairy tale Come along, start the show Having fun in the snow This week in Elf History, I'm going to turn it over to our investigative reporter, Becky Marshmallow-Livingstone. Becky, please, take it away. Thanks, Walter. Well, this week, we're going to be talking about the molasses flood in Boston. Hot molasses flooded the streets of Boston January 15th of 1919, where 21 people perished and scores of others were injured. Not to mention the molasses mess that was left to be cleaned up. The molasses had poured from a huge tank at the United States Industrial Alcohol Company building in the heart of the city on Commercial Street near North End Park in Boston. It was close to lunchtime on January 15th and Boston was experiencing some unseasonably warm weather. Workers were loading freight train cars within the large building. Next to the workers was a 58-foot-high tank filled with 2.5 million gallons of crude molasses. Suddenly, the bolts holding the bottom of the tank exploded, shooting out like bullets. And the hot molasses? Well, it rushed out. 
An eight-foot-high wave of molasses swept away the freight cars and caved in the building's doors and windows. The few workers in the building's cellar had no chance as the liquid unfortunately poured down and overwhelmed them. Although molasses had been poured into the container 29 times previously, only four of those refills were to near capacity. The fourth top-off happened just two days before the disaster when a ship arrived from Puerto Rico carrying 2.3 million gallons of molasses. At that point, the tank held enough molasses to fill three and a half Olympic-sized swimming pools. That's a lot of molasses, huh? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> Well, the huge quantity of molasses then flowed into the streets outside. It knocked over the local firehouse and pushed over the support beams for the elevated train line. The day's mild conditions probably aided in the spread of the molasses, which flowed outward for about two blocks. Nicole Sharp, an aerospace engineer in Denver, became interested in the molasses flood after helping teach a class at Harvard University in which a group of undergraduate students created a scale model of the event. They released a vat of corn syrup into a tiny cardboard Boston village, and they used high-speed cameras to film what happened. Sharp's calculations confirmed that the initial wave could have moved as quickly as 35 miles per hour. The disaster grew worse that night, though, as temperatures dropped, causing the liquid to become increasingly viscous. The liquid was a foot deep in some places, and it is speculated that rescue efforts would have likely been much easier if the accident had happened in the heat of July, and that the molasses would be able to spread further out from the tank, making it not quite as deep. It took weeks to clean the molasses from the streets of Boston, and the smell of molasses, well, that lingered for decades. The disaster produced an epic court battle, too, as more than a hundred lawsuits were filed against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company. After a six-year investigation that involved 3,000 witnesses and 45,000 pages of testimony, a special auditor finally determined that the company was at fault because the tank used had not been strong enough to hold the molasses. Nearly $1 million was paid in settlement of the claims. Recent investigations in 2014 suggest several fundamental problems that led to the disaster. Some started with the structure of the tank itself, and others due to negligence. As far as the tank structure goes, the tank had been built quickly in the winter of 1915 to meet demand rises for industrial alcohol, which could be distilled from molasses and sold to weapons companies who would use it to make dynamite and other explosives for use during World War I. The tank was designed to hold 2.5 million gallons of liquid. It measured approximately 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter. But its steel walls, which range from 0.67 inches at the bottom to 0.31 inches at the top, were just too thin to support the weight of a full tank of molasses. Instead of inspecting the tank and filling it with water first to test it for flaws, they just began filling it with molasses. In addition, 
flawed rivet design was another problem, and stresses were just too high on the rivet holes, and cracks formed. Unfortunately, USIA ignored all the warning signs that there was an issue with the tank, including groaning noises every time it was filled, and addressing obvious cracks that formed in the tank. Certainly, they knew there were cracks, as children used to bring cups and fill it with molasses that dripped out of the cracks. Also, when a laborer brought shards of steel from the tank's walls to the treasurer's office as evidence of the potential danger, the treasurer's reply was reported to be, I don't know what you want me to do. The tank still stands. What engineers didn't know at the time was that the steel had been mixed with too little manganese. It gave it a high transition temperature, making the metal brittle when it cooled below 59 degrees Fahrenheit. With the air temperature on the day of the disaster at only about 40 degrees Fahrenheit, its brittleness might have been the final straw that led to the disaster. That was one sticky mess, Walter. Oh, I was just going to say that. Sticky situation they were in. Yeah, it was. Well, thank you for that report. All right. Before we return to the news, let's take another quick music break.
more and more events are starting to take place out of Polar Bear Lake, the North Pole City Commerce Association has decided to build a building out at the lake to be used for events and concession purposes. This building can also be used by anyone who wishes to have a place for mass gatherings or other events. Construction on the building will begin on Tuesday and it is expected to be completed on Thursday. It is time for the annual Snowball Games. If you are interested in being a participant in this year's Snowball Games, you should sign up today. Sign-ups are being posted this week in each of the Hot Cocoa Pubs as each team represents one of the Elf Clan Hot Cocoa Pubs. The North Pole City Sports League is also looking for a few new judges for the games. So if you are interested, be sure to visit the league offices as soon as possible since training will be taking place as early as next week. Finally, the Fruitcake Toss competition is being held this weekend. So get your fruitcakes ready and come out to Polar Bear Lake for some fun. It will be held on Saturday beginning at noon. In community events this week, we celebrate National Thesaurus Day on January 18th. Stop by the North Pole City Library this week and check out their display of thesauruses and synonyms for some elfy words. On January 19th, it's National Popcorn Day. Mrs. Claus's Kitchen will be making different flavored popcorn all day, so stop by City Center to give them a try. National Cheese Lovers Day is then on January 20th, and you'll be sure to want to stop out to the North Pole City Hotel to try some of their cheeses. They plan on having a buffet of cheeses and cheese-inspired dishes. Yum! Well, then on Saturday the 21st, it's National Hugging Day. Oh, Walter, it's your favorite day, National Hugging Day. It's also National Fruitcake Toss Day. So there will be a fruitcake toss competition, and of course, the winner gets a hug. This year, January 22nd, is when Chinese New Year begins. And this is the year of the rabbit. Easter Bunny will be extra excited this year. Well, to celebrate, there will be a party in City Center for anyone who wishes to attend. Food will be provided by both Mrs. Claus's Kitchen and the North Pole City Hotel. Stop by and join the fun. WELF MPC would like to wish a very happy 450th birthday to Mary Patches Birkenhead. Patches has been the feed handler at Santa's Reindeer Stables for almost 100 years now. She is responsible for the magical mixture of feed that is used to make the reindeer fly. We wish her many more happy years. This is Walter Mistletoe Livingstone. And Becky Marshmallow Livingstone. With a reminder, you can't have everything. Where would you put it? Have a good evening and be sure to tune in next week for another WELF NPC North Pole Radio News Update.